I'm Donna Carter, and every time I say hi, I try really hard not to over overload. Wow, the mic! I'm very tired. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, listeners, but I'm often very tired. What? I no, know. We didn't know that about you. I recently got a pastel pink hoodie, and I love pastels. That says I'm tired in big bold letters, and it is one of my favorite articles of clothing. <laughs> okay, I love it so much. It's me. It's me. I saw a yoga shirt that I thought was just awesome, and I go to yoga for fitness. Don't don't send me hate mail about getting involved in Eastern religions. That's not what it's about for me. But um, <laughs> I saw this fantastic hoodie that said "Namaste in bed." Namaste in bed. <laughs> I loved it. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Speaking of clothing, clothing and favorite clothing. Yeah, I've actually called today's podcast "What Not to Wear." Mm. So, in almost every culture, you can you can pretty much tell a lot about a person by the kind of clothes they wear, right? Sure. Don't you agree? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. Okay, so you see a saffron robe, it like likely means the wearer is a Buddhist uh, monk. Yeah, okay, in a uniform sense, yes. Uh, a business suit, probably a businessman sure. or a woman. Sure. Uh, an athlete probably will be wearing sporting gear. Sure. A nurse wears scrubs. Yes. When somebody wears shabby clothes, we may assume they're homeless. Yeah. Might not be right, but we may assume that. If we see a woman in a sari, we might think she comes from India. Mm-hmm. Our clothes say a lot about us. Yeah. Do you remember the TLC show, What Not to Wear? I do. We used to watch it together. It was always a bit of a conflicting ideal for me um, because the whole premise was there were these two hosts who were stylists. Um, Clinton, Kelly, and Stacey London. And they would ambush someone whose friends and family had submitted, like, photos and video of them dressing poorly, like, consistently. Right. Dressing poorly. Dressing in a way that wasn't particularly flattering or didn't portray a lot of confidence or what have you. And so the stylist would ambush that person, throw out, by which I mean give away, all of their clothes, all of their unflattering or... Anything they didn't approve of. Yeah. Yeah. Give them rules for how to Mm. dress themselves and then send them out into the world with $10,000, $1,000, some money. I I think it was $10,000. You remember a lot more detail than I do, actually. Yeah. And um, inevitably, they would mess some things up the first time. And for the most part, people would come out feeling very happy with their look. I had some issues with it because the looks they put people in were somewhat formulaic, but didn't allow for a whole lot of personality. But yeah, here we are. (laughs) <laughs> well, I kind of loved it because uh, I felt like the whole the whole show was sort of a parable for redemption. Sure. And by that, I mean that the stylist took a person who, for whatever reason, low self-esteem, laziness, or just a real weird fashion sense. Or no money. Or it, yeah, no money, whatever. But for whatever reason, did not dress well and helped them reach their visual potential. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I know inner beauty is what counts. But I don't think we grasp God's love unless we love ourselves um, and, and loving and respecting ourselves usually, yeah. usually presents itself in, in taking good care of ourselves, both inside and out. Yeah, usually. Yeah, usually. Yeah. 
I mean, for some people, it's just not a value. Yeah, or and that's fine. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. We're not criticizing. That's so not the point of why no, we're no. talking about no. this. But at any rate, you um, mentioned an interesting thing about the show is that the participants don't get to just add the new out- outfits the stylists help them choose mm-hmm. to their wardrobe. They actually have to get rid of everything the stylists don't approve of. Which is usually like 90 to 99% of what they are. Yeah, and it's really tough for some people. Yeah, there are tears. And it's tough for us to let go of some things too. Mm-hmm. Colossians 3, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I'm catching myself having a lot of favorites. I think I just <laughs> said that last week too. My yeah. favorite verse. Anyway, one of my favorite chapters, Colossians 3, um, tells the Bible tells us what not to wear and what to wear on the inside of us. Lots of people, likely most, are happy to add eternal life to the life they already have and a few positive characteristics like, you know, kindness and generosity to our existing character. But like Clinton and Stacy, the stylist on what not to wear, God isn't satisfied with that. He wants to start over completely building a new inner wardrobe for us. So this chapter, Colossians 3, begins by telling us where our heads should be when we live out our lives on this planet. The message describes it as seeing everything we experience from an eternal perspective. You see, eternal life begins for us when we invite Jesus into our lives. It's not something that begins after we die. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you knew it or not. Don't <laughs> ask me. <laughs> okay, so how do you think... That kind of attitude, living for eternity, would affect us day to day. I think a lot of unsaved people feel very pressed and compelled to make their life mean something. You know, you only have so much time. I think for us, for saved people, we, first of all, know kind of why we're here. And we also know that we have infinite time and the the rest of it is going to be significantly better than this right. um but what we do in this life affects absolutely the next, right? yeah and mm-hmm. so it brings in a conscientiousness i mean everything you do has meaning then mm-hmm. right um even and maybe you're going to touch on this even the type of house we will live in is very much influenced by what we do during our time here yeah. Well, maybe not house, but it says well, yeah. something about, like, riches. Well, our values, right? Like, are we, you know, if I am feeling called into some sort of ministry that isn't mm-hmm. going to pay very well, um, am I am I willing to sacrifice something in the short term for the long term, the really, really, really long term, the eternal yeah. term, right? And I also think that um, we have more patience, because we know this isn't all there is. Yeah. You know, if I'm living with injustice now, yeah, that's lousy. But there will be justice mm-hmm. one day. Um, we have peace because we know how all this ends. You know, we know that God is going to work all things for our good. We, we might have more gentleness because we don't feel like we have to defend ourselves. We know that ultimately God will set things right. Mm-hmm. So God says... Or Paul says, rather, in this text. Through Paul. Through Paul. God, through Paul, says in this text that our clothing, so our attitudes and actions, should reflect our heavenly citizenship. Can people tell we belong to heaven 
that we're already living our eternal life by the inner clothing we do and don't wear. I think um, John, um, Jesus' apostle, gave um, a good answer to this. In uh, John 13, 35, Jesus said, John recorded Jesus saying, The world will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So, you know, the way we love one another is evidence of living for the eternal. Mm-hmm. Then verse 3 and 4 talk about how our eternal life, our life in Christ, is our real life. Our eternal life is our real life. Yeah. After the Apostle Paul reminds us of our eternity, he then tells us what not to wear in verses 5 to 11. And as you read it, Kev, um, imagine the big trash can that they drag onto the what what not to wear set. And just imagine dumping all these sinful characteristics and behaviors into that garbage can. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Starting in verse 5. And that means living our real life, killing off. Other translations say strip off or shed. In the original language, the verb is often used in, there's notes here, often used in relation to clothing, and it means to deprive of power. Back to the actual scripture. Everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. Whoa. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Okay, so I feel like we need a little bit of context here. Paul deals a bit with other negative negative behaviors, but mostly it's about sexuality. And the reason is that in most pagan religions, including Baalism, Greek, and Roman religions, sex outside of marriage was required as a form of worship. You had to have sex with a temple priestess. So the idea of faithfulness to God in one partner just wasn't a thing. This is the culture the Colossian Christians came out of. The idea of sexual purity was really radical and really made the Christians stand out, not totally unlike the culture we live in today. Verses 9 to 11. Do you want me to read those ones? Sure, why don't you do that? Okie dokie. Um, <laughs> don't, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free, mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So when we know what not to wear and we live by what we know, we're going to look different to other people. And one of the big ways we're going to look different, according to this uh, passage you just read, is how we treat people who are different from us. Mm-hmm. So who might that be for you? Somebody that you is really different from you and you would tend to treat differently. Um, this is probably a little bit of an alternative answer, which is fitting. People who look very normal, 
I struggle to trust. Um, Interesting. Because I just feel like my my instinct, and I'm sure it's un- completely untrue, but my instinct is that everyone wants to be different and look different and stand out and do something weird. And everyone's just afraid to or wants to blend in. And so they're they're lying or covering themselves up they're they're not allowing themselves to be vulnerable they're and not authentic they're not authentic yeah oh. i i assume that they're inauthentic and therefore not trustworthy okay your whole is family are kind of you're not you've got a whole lot of exposed scalp right now mom <laughs> and i mean dad dad is the way dad dresses is i suppose normal but the way he carries himself the way he speaks the way the way he speaks is so unapologetic, like he's loud, mm-hmm. and, and so he is so authentic, and yeah, so you know that's not a problem for me. My sister is unbelievably normal, and I've said it before. If we weren't sisters, I don't think we'd be friends. But she's also very authentic, mm-hmm. um, she and she's alternative in her own way. Well, yeah, like when she was nine months pregnant, she was still powerlifting more than anybody else with in her doc with her doctor's blessing. <laughs> Well, and she shaved her head in junior high, which I cannot imagine the guts that took. You yeah. couldn't have paid me to do anything that drew attention to me in junior high. Hmm. Like, that is alternative. Mm-hmm. And that's authenticity. And she did it to raise money for cancer. It wasn't yeah. just to make a I, statement. I did it just to make a statement mm-hmm. when I was out of high school and an adult. But you still donated the hair, didn't you? I couldn't. It was chemically treated. You can't um, use it. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Too bad. No, it's fine. Um... So people who look very cookie-cutter, normal, and there's really nothing wrong with those things. Intellectually, I know that. I struggle to trust them. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's fair because my, I mean, mine don't make any more sense than yours. Um, for me, for many years, it was androgynous or masculine-looking women mm-hmm. or super athletic women. I've always been pretty girly and not the least bit athletic. And for some reason that I didn't understand until recently, I had insight on this recently, I always felt judged by more masculine-looking women. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt like somehow being feminine made me seem trivial or shallow to them. Well, and I, I do have to say that is, to some extent, a product of socialization. Um, we are brought up in some senses to value femininity, but also believe that things like pink frills, bows, those are not serious things. You can't it's true. you can't like and appreciate those things and be a serious person and that is a lie from the pits of hell. Well yeah, and you look at like the movie Legally Blonde. Yeah, I, I no one takes love, her seriously. I love the moment where Somebody, uh, uh, Elle's former boyfriend says, you got into Harvard? What, like it's hard? Like it's hard? Yeah. (laughs) Like it's hard? With her pink computer and her pink dog. Yeah, and and her fake glasses. Yeah, yeah. There's... Anyway, that's my soapbox. Okay. I'll step down now. Okay. No, that's that's fair. That's yeah. really fair. Um, so I was lying in bed early one morning, and the thought came to me that I was kind of bullied by a pretty tomboyish girl. Yeah. I hope that's not an offensive word to say. I, I don't, don't really know. think it is. But, but anyway, I, I mean, that was the reality. And I think because she saw something wrong with my femininity, at mm-hmm. least that's what I attributed it to. Um, I just always had a mistrust of women who, mm-hmm. you know, I thought would judge me. So that's that's one thing. Um, and for Kendall, um, your sister, interestingly, it was the opposite. Oh, yeah. She was the son we never had, right? Mm-hmm. She was really mechanically... 
um, inclined. Thank you. <laughs> not like us, who are and, good with words. You know, more athletic, more not um, just more athletic, very athletic, especially more, for our family, and very um, like in t- like intense. Uh, uh, willpower. Yeah, and yeah. She was a wrestler, and she would never tap out of anything just because uh, out of out of pure stubbornness. Yeah, yeah, and that was just Kendall watching her. Like this is <laughs> this is not Kevin's kind of wrestling. This is like Greco Roman. No, wrestling. my kind of wrestling is and professional would, wrestling. And I would uh, watching her as her mother. It was just painful because I I think you're breaking my baby. Your baby's pretty. But tough. it was her own fault. She wouldn't tap. Yeah, she, your baby's your baby's Ooh. tough. I mean, she just didn't care about clothes or makeup, and she. Was was always really uncomfortable with girly girls and and hated wearing dresses. You had to I, well, wrestle her into even, dresses. Even into college, we she went away to school, and I was with her, and she had to choose between two dorm rooms. And she walked in, and there was sort of one type of girl in one room, and she walked into the other room, and she those she thought those are my people. And, and to be fair, she's still very much a adventure, independent. Oh. Kind of lady. Yeah, for sure. Good for her. Yeah. So another group that I have to admit I saw sort of as outsiders or people outside of my comfort zone were First Nations people. And I I would never have been unkind uh, deliberately. Yeah. Um, I just sort of felt wary or uncomfortable. And and I I felt like we had nothing in common. Yeah. Just before you go any further, I'd Mm -hmm. like to say I really appreciate your candor because Mm -hmm. it's scary to admit racism mm. which is what it was yeah um and yeah absolutely mm. or at least my awareness now of racism has has helped me identify that yeah and i think that's really important and i i just want to say i applaud you for being honest with yourself and also being able to own it not like own your racism like you're still practicing it for like yeah. a better term <laughs> like that but like you're not still living in those ideas but to own that you did. I think it's really important that we do that. And, um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, thank so you. thank you for, for doing that. Um, I, I have to say that even back in my, my racist days, if I'm going to call it that, I guess, call it for what it is, um, I, I felt great sympathy for all the wrong that had been done to First Nations people. Uh, you know, not the least of which is the horrors of the residential schools that, that really are have only started to come out in yeah. in the the broader public in the last few years, and we're still open until ninety six. Yeah, last one was closed in ninety six. Amazing, yeah. Hey? I, I but having said that, I certainly never went out of my way uh, to have relationships with anybody out of my white middle class bubble. Mm-hmm. And God has really used the recent um, attention to racism to convict me of of racism in my own life. One of the tools God used, interestingly, was a Canadian series on Netflix called Burden of Proof. I don't know. Have you watched it? I haven't, no. You really should. I it's will. It's really very good. But it has a, a number of Aboriginal characters in it. And watching the show has really increased not just my sympathy, but my empathy mm. for people whose stories are so much different from my own. I mean, I really am... Um, the uh, enti- entitled isn't the right word. Privileged. Um, the, yeah, the privileged. Yeah, absolute. Mm-hmm. I have enjoyed white privilege my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, you really have to get out of your bubble to know that that's you not have what to the look. looks like. You have to look. Right. It will not just show up. Yeah. Yeah. So the first part of the passage um, that we're, that we've looked at tells us what not to wear. The fact that we're told to shed 
or kill these things tells me that there is some responsibility on our part mm -hmm. to get this done. But the next section tells us what to wear. So why don't you read starting in verse 12. Okay. Uh, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dressed in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of whatever else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. I love this. It's kind of like love is like the little black dress. The spiritual little black dress. <laughs> yeah. Or pants if you don't like dresses. Gregory Brown on the website Bible.org notes that verse 12 translated literally would read, put them on and keep putting them on. Mm. So this isn't a one-time deal. You're, you're going to find that Satan will bring back unforgiveness toward a person that you've already forgiven. And you'll have to commit to forgive again from the heart. You'll have to continue to put on the garment of forgiveness day after day. And sometimes you're going to be tempted to be angry with someone for how they've treated you, if they've treated you harshly or wrongly in some way. Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins in 1 Peter 4.8. And so you're going to have to decide, am I going to choose to love this person and cover his sins or her sins? I heard a, just a beautiful, beautiful um, illustration of this. There was, there was a wife who um, actually was a, a Christian television personality who had an affair mm. with a man of another race. And so when she ended up pregnant, there was absolutely no way to cover this up. Yeah. <laughs> and what was so cool, I mean, it wasn't easy, and it was a process to work through this and the forgiveness and everything, but what they went on the air to tell their story. And while his wife was talking, sharing her part of the story, he took off his suit jacket and laid it over her shoulders. Mm -hmm. He was covering her with his love. I think that's wow. really, really beautiful. Just like this verse says, love covers a multitude of sins. You may have conquered your anxieties and anger yesterday, but... Today, you'll have to put on patience again. This is what happens to us over and over and over, right? So Paul says we have to choose daily to be that patient person, to keep putting patience on again and again, to put on the clothing of an eternal perspective. Time after time takes discipline. So we have this responsibility to put on our new spiritual clothes, but I think it's important we also realize we can't change our character all on our own. At least, certainly not permanently. This isn't just about trying harder to be good or to be forgiving or to be patient. We need to ask for forgiveness and cleansing for our past sinful behaviors. Mm -hmm. That's our first step to um, taking responsibility to change. I mean, we wouldn't strip off clothing dretched drenched in stinky sweat, and then put on clean clothes without taking a shower, right? It doesn't make Gross. any sense. And so we start with repentance, and then we get dressed. And how do we do that? Well, John 15, 5, 5 tells us, it's only as we nurture an intimate relationship with Jesus that we bear fruit. And Galatians 5 tells us what the fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Things that sound suspiciously similar to what Paul is telling us here in Colossians 3 in verses 12 to 14. These are what we are to wear. So, we put on the right clothes by nurturing an intimate relationship with God. The New Living in verse 10 puts it this way. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. We need to get to know and become like our Creator. Um, we, okay, so how do we, I mean, how do we do that? Well, by hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And we actually talked about that in our last in podcast. Last week, yeah. Yeah. The goal here isn't gathering a lot of knowledge about God. It's not just knowing about him, it's knowing him. And the more we know him, the more we love him, and the more we want our thoughts, motivation, and behavior to please him. We also open the channel for his work in us. We have to know God so that we can dress like God. We become people, we become like people Mm -hmm. we hang out with a lot, right? Yeah. You know, you've ever heard about old married couples who sort of start looking like yeah. each other? Yeah, or people that look age. like their dogs. <laughs> right. Or, you know, your your dad's one of his good friends, Les. I mean, they if, if he's in our house and we're not in the same room, sometimes we can't tell which one of them's talking. Yeah, yeah. They look the same. They sound the same. And they've totally picked up each other's speech patterns, patterns yeah. and um, laugh expressions, it's the whole thing. a lot, it's, yeah. It's creepy, actually. Okay, and then finally, we dress for success in our relationship with God by being in intimate relationship with God's people. Mm -hmm. Gregory Brown notes, none of these characteristics can be practiced alone. You can't be patient unless you're around people who are difficult. You can't forgive unless you're around people who hurt you. You can't practice compassion unless you're around people who are hurting. This requires we make ourselves vulnerable. If we spend all of our time and energy trying to protect ourselves, we'll never put on love. God put Jesus around followers who constantly failed him. Mm -hmm. One denied him, one even betrayed him. He put Christ in a family who doubted him and mocked him. He sent him to people who eventually tortured and killed him. Sometimes the dark place is exactly where God wants you to be. The difficult work environment, the harsh family the divisive church, the outfit God wants you to wear stands out best in difficult situations. Hmm. It's kind of like showing up in a ball game in a cocktail dress. (laughs) That little black dress of love demonstrates to the people around you that you're a child of God, and it helps them to understand God's grace. Well, I think that's a really good stopping point for today. Um, If you like this episode, I'd encourage you to like, share, and subscribe. Um, or leave a comment if you have any ideas for future episodes. Yeah, we always like to hear from you. Yeah, or yeah, just say hi or, or whatever. What's your favorite kind of cake? I don't know. <laughs> I'm always down to try new cakes. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that, I believe, I feel like I'm missing something. But anyway. No. <laughs> great, no, I've done this think, for years. I don't think you are. Put on the little black dress of love. Or pants. Okay. If you're not a dress person. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. whatever I'm Donna Carter. Yeah. And uh, I'm Kevin Pankhurst, and we're welcoming you to Grow on the Go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.